0: back on the fan morning show sportsnet 590 the fan cuthbert and four it's game two the first round series the stanley cup playoffs for the toronto maple leafs tonight scotia bank arena tampa bay lightning still in town they've been hanging around probably had a pretty sweet day yesterday
1: i'm sure they're living it up at the ritz
0: that's another thing is like when you've won you can kind of enjoy the process a little more i feel cool like the
1: to sea tower
0: like, yeah having a good day. We're not like, it wasn't, uh, practice I don't think took on the same tenor as it did yesterday with the Maple Leafs where everyone's a little uptight. Everyone's (sighs) a little uptight. But uh, you earn that when you win multiple Stanley Cups and go to multiple Stanley Cup finals. Uh, Big, big game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And who else to have on to tee up a big game than our guy, Brent Gunning, co-host of Leafs Nation and the biggest Michael Backer, Michael Bunting Backer, rather, uh, that we know. So we got to ask you right out of the gate. Are we punting, bunting? No,
2: no, I uh, look, okay. uh, You know, it's very fitting. My, my young son just spilled cereal all over himself. So I have him sitting on my lap as I do this and I don't love him (laughs) any less. I'm a little frustrated. Give him the phone. That is a, buddy, you don't, you don't want to tempt fate here. I'm really praying he stays quiet because he's got some takes in terms of bunting. You, you know, you get really frustrated. You get really annoyed. I cannot believe these takes I've heard of, well, even if they get back in the series, I don't know if you want him in the lineup. What are we talking about here? Did he go over the line? Yes. Was it idiotic? Yes. Is he still a better option for this team than Zach Aston Reese? Oh my God. Yes. So no, I'm not punting bunting.
0: No. Is it, is it fourth line bunting now, though? Like, let's say Matthew Nyes is a pretty good uh, mm-hmm. showing over three games. Yarn croak works with Matthews, and we know it does work. Mm-hmm. Like, do we kind of have to, like, minimize the role a little bit? Because what happened in game one? Like, I, I get it. Like, he, he it started off good. He earned that call for Cernak. I don't know if it, like, all, like, spiraled down for there from an officiating standpoint. It may have. Uh, but like immediately five minutes in, this guy's barking at the officials and what was he told not to do for the last month? Stop barking at the officials. Like, it seems like he can't help himself. And it's honestly too big of a spot on that top line to be, to be acting that way. I totally understand the pushback, but I'm very, and I'm not, like,
2: I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this to all of us at large, capital M media. I hate this idea of, well, that Michael Bunting better be on his best behavior. I don't know. How about the neutral arbitrator of laws and rules out there is on their best (laughs) behavior and don't have the thinnest skin humanly possible. I understand what you're saying. I think what you're going to see with Bunting when he comes back, especially if Nyes looks comfortable is, yeah, it's very possible he starts on the fourth line and they're going to do it. With Yarn Croak, what they did before, he's going to be up there with Matthews, and so long as that line's producing and as long as he is scoring, he's going to be up there. But it's not going to stay that way forever. That's why Cal Yarn Croak is a twenty-goal guy, and it's his career high. If he was like that all the time, he wouldn't have been filtered in and out of the top six. So if Nye's fits on the third line, which I totally think he can, then yes, we can see that Alex Kerfoot isn't going to wow you, but he's not going to you know nuke that line either way. And then Yarn Croak, so long as he clicks, will be up there so I think when he comes back and it's not if it's when he comes back he will start on that fourth line but I think you'll see him work his way up more quickly than not presuming the season goes long enough which is obviously Mm -hmm. a pretty big assumption
1: I love to poke the bear this morning Gunner. so what (laughs) what do you make of the uh, Nazem Qadri parallels floating around social media how does that make you feel
2: well, I think Nassim Kadri should be offended. Uh, you know, I love Michael Bunting <laughs> I think more he
1: than was it. actually. I saw that he I, tweeted yesterday. I,
2: <laughs> I know. And look, I love Michael Bunting more than probably anyone in this market. I uh, Paul Bissonnette was the first backer and I immediately went behind him. Mm-hmm. So it's like I am I am chief uh, uh, high up there on the Michael Bunting <laughs> bandwagon, okay? But he's not even in the same category of player is Kadri you know Michael Bunting's had a really nice start to his career we talk about him as a 20 goal guy Kadri is that in his sleep and gives you all of the other stuff as well 90 points also Kadri did this a bunch of times got traded Mm -hmm. and did it again so both guys should be offended Bunting is probably sitting here going what are you talking about? I've done this once and then I've never been suspended before. And Kadri's going, what are you talking about? I'm not a Michael Bunting player. I'm Nazem Kadri. Nine, nine million bucks in UFA. Stanley Cup champ.
0: Yeah. Both guys should be offended by that parallel. I think <laughs> are, are you though? Like kind of relieved that Michael Bunting doesn't have an eight year contract extension, maximum term kicking in this summer. Like, do we need to like see how this goes before you want to put things in stone? I would if if it was the deal
2: that was bandied about of basically the yarn croak but a little richer of he takes a super low AAV for what he is as a player uh, in order to max out the term I still would be okay with that but I always thought that what was going to happen is kind of exactly what we'll see play out he's gonna have a really nice year he already has had one maybe the playoff stuff puts a an asterisk on that for some people but he's still gonna get paid uh, UFA wise so yeah is it you know are some people relieved that it's not an eight-year deal that's kicking in, I I can see that, but it was never going to be an eight-year, $5 million per deal. It was going to be something in that Yarncroak neighborhood, and quite honestly, I'd still be okay with that. I think there are plenty of ways to build a team, and you don't need it to go that way with him, but I wouldn't be upset if he was signed to that deal either.
1: All right, so three games until we see Michael Bunting. Um, hopefully there are more games to see Michael Bunting. So we're 36 hours post-game one collapse Um, or slash embarrassment, or however you'd like to put it. I'd like to know how you'd like to put it. Um, We didn't get to talk to you right after the game. It's been Mm -hmm. a little bit of time to let your feelings settle. What's the the vibe this morning ahead of Game 2?
2: Uh, so I tweeted out a lovely gif of mm, uh, Don Draper it. meditating <laughs> uh, with flames uh, cascading all around him, and I think that's how we all got to feel. Mm. Game one went as bad as it possibly could have. We're all focused on bunting, and we're focused on the officials. It was a disaster before any of that started. Zach aston Reese, you know, how many arguments do we have about should Nyes be in? Should Aston Reese be in? Well, he's going to make the save play. No, he's not. He's going to turn over in his own end, and it's going to end up in the back of the net. So the most concerning thing from that game for me outside of Samsonov looking shaky was that we've seen this Leafs team do this so many times in big spots where they just come out flat and honestly I think a big part of that and I'm not one to blame the coach but I do put a bit of it on the coach they made what four line changes in the first minute of actual mm-hmm. gameplay in that hockey game how are your guys supposed to get any flow I understand matchups I understand you feel better about your bottom six you want to make use of that but you know what else I understand that you probably got the better top six Six, two or it at least should be a wash so you shouldn't be running scared from a Matthews matchup or a Tavares matchup especially when you were really loading it up with O'Reilly in the top six there so I'm not taking the anything away from the players there they wear that but I think that with so much line matching early on it just had a funky start to the game and nobody got any flow pucks in the back of your net and you're chasing and once the game kind of stabilized the Leafs were, were fine they got it to 3-2 they got it to 4-2 but then you know the camp penalty and the the everything with bunting that we've discussed. So I don't think the game was as big a disaster as scoreline makes it look. But once again, this team just not ready to start on time. The ghosts of Babs are so real.
0: Yeah, I think what, we, mm-hmm. what we're learning and maybe what we're relearning, I guess, is that that like anxiousness. Hey, buddy, that <laughs> like uh, those cons- <laughs> the reflexiveness that Sheldon keeps at like he's so adamant that he needs to assert himself in whatever way. And he's jumping around and making making these changes and those line changes early. And it just seems like he's antsy. Antsiness is in his nature. Now, I know he had to make changes because of Michael Bunting, but we've got changes to the top three lines for game two. And my whole thing coming in was like, we cannot. He's got to just keep his hand off the piece and make sure that he trusts what he has because this is the best team that he's had in this it, with the Toronto Maple Leafs is the best team that we've seen on paper for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the playoffs. So what do you do think of these these line changes? This top 9 has been shuffled. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? How are you viewing what they've done to account for the changes needed with Michael Bunting's suspension?
2: So I saw a lot of people quibbling with O'Reilly going back to the third line or, you know, is that a true checking line? If you have a rookie like Matthew Nyes in there, I think with a guy like Nyes, you really want some experience on his side. And not that, you know, a guy like Ryan O'Reilly just being out there is going to make him a smarter player. But, you know, this has been talked about on the broadcast to death and rightfully so of the idea of just he's sitting there, he's talking. O'Reilly is the kind of cooler on the bench. He's been in so many big moments. It's actually worked out well for him in big moments, unlike pretty much everyone else on this team. So I love the idea of, of starting Nyes out with with Achary and O'Reilly there. Uh, obviously, it allows you to bump up either Nyes or O'Reilly into that top six for more offensive zone draws. You know, Alex Kerfoot is the classic guy that I don't know that you hate him on any line on this team, but I don't think you love them on one either. So I think that's what happens to the top six. And then Yarncroke is really fit with Matthews and Marner. So with Bunting out, you have to go there. You've got to have at least one line that you're certain of how it's going to look. And you know, uh, I know it was without Tavares, but Nylander and Kerfoot were pretty good in the playoffs a couple of years ago against Montreal. So I I understand the bristling at the shuffling, but once you take out a guy in Bunting who's a part of that mix, and then you insert a guy like Knives who isn't yet but can absolutely by the time this series is done force himself there especially with kerfoot being the guy who's kind of holding that spot i like the way the lines are set up especially when we think of it as it's not just going to be those three lines and that's that you're going to get o'reilly spot starts uh, david camp is probably going to get some spot starts in the defensive zone in place of matthew Nyes there so i, I like the way keith has set it
0: up uh, Despite not having Bunting, oh baby, more tinkering for Sheldon Keith gets to gets to be involved as he much as possible. It. He does love it. He might love it a little too much. Uh, <laughs> everyone thinks everyone thinks
1: he's so mad at Bunting. He's like, oh
2: God, love like, you,
0: Bunting. Perfect. I wouldn't have been able to do it without you. I can <laughs> I can be full puppeteering mode. Uh,
1: he called the Department of Safety and said, make it three games. Actually, I want more time.
0: <laughs> uh, we were talking in the opening block about how you know, whether accounting for Nyes is damaging to the lineup. Uh, and I think when we we, we discuss that, it's with focus on the second line. You mentioned it. Yeah, Kerfoot and Nylander have worked. Kerfoot was playing a lot of center when it worked. Uh, for some reason, Tavares, Nylander, Kerfoot has never really worked. And last year, the, you know, the, at the end of season presser, one of the big things was like, how are we going to help John Tavares? Uh, like, uh, how are we going to make it so that an 11 million dollar player can be infa- impactful? And an 11 million dollar player that plays with a 40 goal scorer is going to be impactful no matter what the situation is. And I think that th- the answer to that question was Ryan O'Reilly. And the answer to the question in game two might be okay, we're going to flex O'Reilly, we're going to double shift O'Reilly. He's going to play a lot in the second line, but he's going to h- also shepherd along Matthew Nye's. Uh, do you think accounting for Nye's? in any way takes away from the lineup or you just think, Hey, more blender, more uh, action from the coach, more line matching, more movement. And that's what will ultimately get the best out of this group because you got to do something about nice, but you can't also look at that second line and just assume that it's going to get it done. Finally.
2: No, I think that, I mean, I was clamoring for this at the deadline, and I know it's nuts to say about a team that added as much as they did. I thought they needed one more forward. You know, I was banging the drum for Tyler Bertuzzi. He felt like the perfect guy. Now, obviously, he's not a center. That's not going to alleviate John Tavares' plate. But I think the, the idea of Matthew Nyes is that, He is he is kind of in the perfect spot for this team in that because you don't need him, you know Matthew Nye's even if he is the best version of a player that he is today doesn't necessarily make the work easier for Tavares, but it is a more capable linemate there. And you know Kerfoot is somebody who again we keep going back to it. There just has never been a perfectly clean fit for who he is on this team. I think in a perfect world, if you can see Nylander and Tavares back with the chemistry that they've shown, then it doesn't really matter who. the third guy is they had different guys fluttering through that spot at the beginning of the season and then of course there's the the break glass in case of emergency you can always flip the wingers and put Nylander up with Matthews and put Marner with Tavares Nylander and Matthews have been pretty successful together this year and obviously we know the the history between Tavares and and Marner there so I think that's still the if you want to make life easier on Tavares that's still the easiest way to do it Uh, they seem a little hesitant with that but you know the tinker If it's not going well in the first period, I wouldn't be surprised if we see those guys flip by the second.
1: We got Brent Gunningcoast of Leafs Nation on with us, and you'll have pregame coverage at 6.30 p.m. with Gord Stellick, and also after the game for Leafs Nation. Looking forward to hearing you guys pre- and post-game. Now, we talked about it to start the show as well. We watched the Edmonton Oilers come back with a dominant performance last night against the Kings, uh, a bounce-back spot. Most teams did bounce back in their second game. So Matthews and Marner need to be like Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. They are going out there and being the best players on the ice and elevating their performance in the postseason. Why haven't they been able to elevate in these postseasons um, when they have such great, prolific regular seasons? Why can't they flip the switch? So it's
2: a really... Martner is the one that is most frustrating to me. And (laughs) I think mostly because what you've seen out of him is, you know, if we go back to the very start of his Leafs playoff career... I'm sure you've seen it all making the rounds this week. There's a clip at the end of, I want to say it's game three against Boston and he blocks four shots at the top of the circles Mm. to end the game. And he's limping off. But then we had the ghosts of the most recent playoff pass where he's had more puck over the glass penalties than he has goals. Now, I don't think you can knock anything he did in game one there. He had three assists he was producing, but it's been the most frustrating part about this entire group for so long is that, You look around at every other team that's had even one moment, even one series win, and it's been a big guy coming through Mm -hmm. in a massive spot. Be it McDavid with the Hattie. I mean, you should have had it. Tavares, the goal to tie it up. That should have been the moment, but these guys have had their chances and they've never been able to do it. I still do think we talk so much about the team and about the goaltending and how everyone clicks together. You need one of those guys to just have a big moment a two goal game, a three point night. In a a deciding game, an overtime winner, something like that. These guys are all way too good when I'm I'm talking about the core four, but you throw Ryan O'Reilly into the mix. Hey, Morgan Riley gets paid like it. He can get in there too. You just need one of those guys to come through with a moment that matters. And, you know, I... I would sit here and tell you the odds would say they're eventually going to do it they're way too good they don't look like players that shrink in the moment I've thought that about Marner quite frankly at times Matthews has seemed unfazed by it but also you know a little unbothered at times kind of indifferent has been the knock on him but I don't think this is a case of guys shrinking it's just a case of they just haven't been able to do it you give them this many cracks they're bound to come through and if this team is able to get by Tampa it's going to have to be on the backs of one of those guys, Aurelia Samson off
0: a bothered Aust- Austin Matthews. Uh, really, really need to see a bothered Austin Matthews. Uh, m- the most surprising thing for me, uh, in game one, I think, was the performance of the blue line. Like, I've never seen TJ Brody make mistakes that he was making. Man. I've never seen Mark Giordano and Justin. Well, I've seen Justin Hall get pushed around a little bit. I've never <laughs> seen Mark Giordano miss out on box outs and like just be non competitive in front of the net. It was really, really surprising seeing the struggles of the blue line. So do you have an explanation to why it crumbled the way it did? I think the game just completely got away from them. I think the team looked
2: okay in the earlier parts there were the gaffes but i mean the the most the the one that's kind of telling of how the game went was on the point goal tj brody just completely losing his man that's a case of a guy who never gets caught running around just running around a little bit out of position over committing over chasing and it felt like it was just a team that realized they were going to need to score two or three goals in a period and they were pushing and pushing and trying to make things happen and you know so much of what we've talked about with the d with this team is not been just the D, but it's been the structure in front of them in a five-man unit and everybody pulling on the rope and you know pick your hockey cliche. And I just think that it was a team that the game was spinning. Michael Bunting got tossed. You got the five-minute. The crowd is booing them and the refs off the ice. I don't really know who that was for, quite frankly. At the <laughs> end of the first and second, probably a little bit of both. So I think it was just a case of a team that you know outside of that trip where they went out west and had the they nearly got swept by all the California did get swept by all the California teams. They haven't looked out of sorts. It hasn't been panic for them. And it just got there for a little bit. I think the good news is that because the game was so crazy, you can flush it. But honestly, that's why I think the decor looks so out of sorts. The whole team is just chasing the game and they're not a team. Not that they're not built to come back from a lead, but they've been so solidly structured and they just got completely away from that in game one.
1: The final line of defense is Ilya Samson off and his brutal playoff postseason record that uh, Justin read out for me today and it made my stomach queasy um one and seven and eight starts with twenty nine goals against which is a three six three six five um goals against or save percentage in an eight or sorry goals against average and then an eight eighty eight save percentage. So altogether not ideal. No. Um we didn't see the great start from him and he kinda came on the podium afterwards and said he played like crap. Um bounce back opportunity for him he has been great at home but this postseason lingering feeling could be something that maybe gives you a bit of pause going into tonight where's your confidence level at with samsonov and his postseason record
2: it's not super high. I will say he's he has the demeanor and he's saying all the things you would want of oh, you know, he had the line heading into the playoffs of oh, Sammy Ben, Sammy never breaks and <laughs> I played like as you said crap, we'll, we'll go with. I think he has the right attitude about it all, but the thing that I keep going back to to this and these are two very different scenarios, but I'd be lying if it. Isn't where my mind goes is, you know, he talked about how much pressure was on him, not from anybody but himself, of going into that Washington game, playing his mm. old team, and he got shelled, and he was not very good. Now, I don't think this is some proof of ah, oh, look at this. Anytime he cares about a game, he's no good. No, I don't think it's that, but it's also not nothing. So I, th- I'm still pretty confident in Samsonov. I think he would have had to have been. I'm trying to think, unable to stand to get Joe Wall in the net. And that's not a walk, knock on Wall. It's just if you're worried about Samsonov's lack of pedigree, what is Joe Wall uh, ever showing you in, in that regard? So I, I'm still pretty confident, but that Capitals game and the, ga- the way he's performed in games that he puts the most pressure on himself is for sure at
0: least a little concerning. Fill in the blank gunner. Uh, a lightning blue line without Hedman and Cernak is really thin like
2: really paper thin but they still find a way they didn't have those guys for that entire game and the least weren't able to push for pretty much the bulk of it i'm we're gonna see headman there's no way we don't i'm sorry i don't care if he's propped up out there i don't care if he's basically a cardboard cutout they don't have any other guys you're gonna see him out there this is where the Leafs have to take advantage. We have heard so many years of, oh, once that bad Leafs third pair gets out there, do the Lightning have a good pair they can put out with all the injuries they've got now? Make them pay. That has got to be it. That's got to be the MO for the series. I know this is a team that likes to control the puck, and I'm not saying it's got to be chip and chase and just hammering blue liners all night long, but you got to make it tough on them, and you've got to force them into handling the puck more. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, a golden opportunity for the Leafs and I'm sure those are famous last words.
0: So it's a must win uh, and I think all of our confidence is shaken a little bit to different degrees. Um, What would you need to see? I guess we'll say early first five minutes and like aside from Samsonov because I think that's the biggest thing uh, to have that confidence restored.
2: I I actually it's not Samsonov I don't want to see him in the first five minutes of Mm. that game. Go own the puck. Go chase. Do what the Lightning did to you play offense so much of this has been about how do they match up who's the third line who's going to match up with who cares you got austin matthews and mitch marner these guys are transcendent players in the game and they're not in their 30s like all the lightning great guys are so i want the leafs to put the lightning on their heels that is what i need to see if that happens they're going to do just fine kind of regardless of how Elias Samsonov performs quite honestly so that's what i need to see is the leafs out of the gates jumping and this isn't a case of i need to see knives put somebody through the boards or Aston reese or i want to <laughs> fight no i mean i'll take all of those things gladly i am a caveman at heart still but you just need to go out and win the first four or five shifts
1: i love it uh getting the first goal would probably that, be, oh, I mean, ideal. That'd be very nice yeah, yes that would be great get the crowd going um it was difficult to see them coming back into it when you were down three nothing but uh, keep the crowd on your side get the first goal i think that's a Perfect playoff recipe. Um, Gunner, you got pregame coverage beginning at 6.30 p.m. with Gord Stelic. That's on Sportsnet 590. The fan here and then afterwards for Leafs Nation. Looking forward to hearing it. And thanks so much for joining us this morning. And Go clean that cereal up. What, wait, what cereal are you having for breakfast?
2: Uh, he's, a, he's a big Rice Krispies guy. Oh,
1: all right. that the, What is it? Snap, crackle, pop, baby. It,
0: it does. That's hey, the squad tonight. Snap, right, crackling, and popping it. on the floor right now.
1: That's it. All right. <laughs> okay, Gunner, enjoy the day. We'll chat later.
0: Take care. Bye, guys.
1: And Gunning Coast of Leafs Nation. Catch them tonight, pre- and post-game on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Speaking of snap, crackle, pop, it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Light the beam. That was
0: beam. good. You're so proud of yourself. Light the beam.
1: <laughs> Light the beam. Mike Brown, the fearless leader of our beam team, Sacramento Kings, named the NBA Coach of the Year yesterday the first ever unanimous winner of the award after the Kings were led to their first playoff appearance in 17 years. They went 48 and 34 during the regular season, giving them the seventh best record in the NBA. First time they've been in the top seven since 0304 until this year. Raptors coach Nick Nurse had the record for most votes in a coach of the year, earning 90 first-place votes back in 2020. Remember that well. He received all 100 first-place votes. Wow. The fearless beam team leader. And he's
0: straight-up out-coaching his boss for the last Mm -hmm. six years, Steve Kerr, in this head-to-head matchup with the Golden State Warriors.
1: They play tonight at 10 p.m. Will the beam be lit from afar?
0: That is some serious advantage, isn't it? It's like crazy. You, know, you know the Golden State Warriors inside and out. You know Steve Kerr and inside and out. Six years together. I mean, he probably knows some of your tactics, but you weren't able to do everything you wanted to do at all times. That is, uh, I, I mean, I'm not dialed into Sacramento Kings, you know, local radio all the time, we but should be. Let's I feel get... like that wasn't talked about enough.
1: Light the beam, baby. Tonight, 10 p.m., after the Leafs game, the turn beam. on Kings and Warriors.
0: That's going to be a party if they win that series.
1: I feel for Juliana and my mom, though, because it's getting a little bit. Uh, you've had a good run. Tense. Yeah. A pretty good run. That's fine. All right. Um, ben Nicholson-Smith joins us on the other side of the break. Our and MLB editor and co-host of At the Letters podcast. Let's go through. The Toronto Blue Jays' first six series have wrapped up. They lost yesterday's 2-3 with the Astros this week. It was a pretty great performance until the eighth inning. We've seen some progress with most of the starting rotation. That question mark... Alec Manoa has an opportunity, the biggest opportunity since the last big opportunity to bounce back on the mound on Saturday against his bestie, Garrett Cole, and the Audi sign at Yankee Stadium. Should be good theater. All that uh, with Ben Nicholson-Smith and more. We'll have our wake and rake, of course, at 8.45 today. So send your picks in at 5.95.90. And we're giving away Blue Rodeo tickets in the next block. So stay tuned.
0: Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The JD Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: We're back on the Fan Morning Show. SportsNet 590. The Fan, the Blue Jays wrapped up their three game series in Houston, dropping two of three. Well, we're going to find some positives. They got a day off today as they travel to New York to play the Yankees this weekend. Three games, two of them on Sportsnet. You got the Apple TV game on Friday, so you won't be able to find that here. But we got Alec Manoa on the mound on Saturday against Garrett Cole. That will be prime time viewing. Pleased to be joined by Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet MLB editor and co-host at The Letters Podcast. BNS, how are you this morning?
3: Doing well. Yeah, nice to um, get uh, a little bit of an early season off day here. Blue Jays keeping things interesting, but um, yeah, excited to all be in New York for the series, so excited Ooh. for that and uh, should be interesting.
1: What does BNS do on an off day? You start writing articles, <laughs> you, have something, you have something scheduled up to start analyzing, or do you take a little pause too?
3: I try to take a little pause. Uh, I have to get ready for uh, for tomorrow, um, but um, probably get a run in is oh. uh, the hope, although it looks a little bit gray and ugly out there. So hopefully conditions improve.
0: Okay, uh, we'll enjoy that. We're through six series, though, uh, so it is a good time for reflection on an off day. Um, how would you grade the start? Assign a grade, six series, four of which were victories, uh, and uh, an 11-8 record out of the... Out of the uh, out the shoot. What, what, what would you give it in terms of uh, an elementary grade? Overall, I'd
3: say B plus. I mean, it's been good. It hasn't been great. Uh, we've seen them struggle at times. Um, it's obviously a passing grade. They're healthy. Um, there's still room to do way more than what they've done so far. I think that's definitely apparent. Um, and whether it's kind of putting together a bit more consistency from the starting rotation, whether it's finding more production from the bottom of the lineup, there are definitely ways for this group to do better. Even the results, right? 11 and eight, we think, you know, collectively going into the year, this was a, a group that seemed capable of, of doing even better and putting together some even more um, impressive stretches. And, and they, they certainly have that ability. So I, I don't know if you guys maybe differ on that, but I'd, I'd probably go B+. plus.
0: Yeah, I think I'd probably go BB plus as well. Uh, I think that grade makes the most sense. Uh, There are things that obviously you know could have easily dragged down the grade that are keeping things up, but a guy like Alec Manoa struggling maybe preventing it from being uh, in the A territory. What what is the thing that comes as most surprising in terms of like assisting that grade in a good way?
3: Yeah, you know, you mentioned Manoa, and that's probably one of the bigger questions around this team. And like you said, I mean the. the inconsistency there has been pretty surprising just because he has been a very consistent pitcher he's been a very effective pitcher in the course of his first two seasons in the majors and after the year he had last year where he was a cy young finalist and had a 2.24 ERA i think it was pretty reasonable to think that he would be pretty good out of the shoot. but all kinds of unexpected things can happen in a baseball season and this is you know he's certainly entitled to struggle periodically uh these these few starts have not been good he's not had command he's walking way too many hitters. he's hitting hitters and as a result of that you know it's the lack of command is really at the root of everything right now um and, and maybe you go further maybe you say it's a mechanical issue um that he's got to get sorted um but whatever the case the results are, are pretty clear and they're pretty clearly below what he's capable of so I think that Manoa and getting him sorted uh, with the big test coming up against the Yankees in New York on Saturday—that's a, a big one for the Jays as they move ahead. Because uh, if if he can get back to that form, we all know what kind of a difference that could make.
1: What does Alec Manoa do like during the the days that he doesn't hit the mound? Like, what kind of things is he working on? Is he doing this with the staff? Is he watching a lot of video? Like. How does somebody try to decipher what's going wrong with them when it hasn't really happened previously? And it seems like a conundrum to a lot of us. Um, What kind of steps are you seeing that he's taking throughout the week when he's not pitching? And, and, I mean, how big of a spot, as you mentioned, is it Saturday for him to get right? Like, this could be the big turning point for Alec Manoa if he can have a great performance. Yankee Stadium, which he loves to to pitch at. Garrett Cole, as we all mentioned. It's going to be a great spot for him if he can deliver in it.
3: Yeah, I will. And I I think that that potential is there. Should be a really fun game to, to watch and to cover. I think at the same time, you know, if you're the Blue Jays, you're probably hoping that Alec Manoa doesn't put too much pressure on himself because he's already had a lot of pressure and put a lot of pressure on himself this season. But if he can go out there against the Yankees and give them five innings with three runs, that's fine. That can be a good step forward. It doesn't have to be seven innings and 16 strikeouts. Even if, you know, on his very best days, he's capable of shutting down any lineup and really dominating. So as for the steps between starts and, and what he does to keep ready, he's someone who spends time in a gym for sure. He's someone who, I mean, he owns a gym um, in uh, near Miami and, and certainly likes to get his workouts in. You'll see him out there on the field throwing uh, with his teammates, throwing that football around. You'll see him. Um, do a, a bullpen session at some point. And, and look, I mean, the the Blue Jays, after his last start, said that it wasn't a mechanical issue that he'd been battling um, against the Rays on the weekend. John Schneider said that, and, and so did Alec Manoa. But looking at those results, I mean, you would certainly want to at least take a look at those mechanics because he was missing to his arm side over and over. And so they I, I imagine that Pete Walker will take a good look and see if there is anything mechanical they can fix.
0: If not an encouraging start Saturday, maybe a fistfight with Garrett Cole. Uh, We shall see, but that's as exciting as an early game uh, or an early season game as you're going to get between the Yankees and Blue Jays uh, this weekend. Before we look forward to that again, uh, let's look back at what we just saw with the Houston Astros, and I kind of want to begin with George Springer because he's returning to a place where he became a legend. Like, What's it like being George Springer when you're back in Houston? Walking on water down there?
3: Yeah. Well I'm sure um I'm sure after the results of that series he felt like he probably could have used maybe a bit more good luck because there are a couple instances where he was just absolutely squaring up the ball and it was ending up in the Astros gloves. And there was the uh one day I think it was Tuesday where he hit three fly balls, each of which was caught just a deep center field. And then even last night you know, they had a huge chance in the eighth inning, and this is before the score got out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, a, the Blue Jays had a great chance to tie the game in the eighth against Abreu with Springer and Bo and Vlad coming up. Um, but, you know, Springer ends up lining out, and, and that's a, a missed opportunity there. So I'm sure that with the, the various employees and, and team personnel, that would be a nice chance for Springer to reconnect. But at the same time, I imagine he left there thinking he could have used one or two big hits and that might have changed the outcome of the series for his new
1: team. Could have been storybook kind of stuff. He'd come home, he hit a grand slam, Blue Jays win the game, Jose Barrios gets the win and something he did deserve. He he pitched really well last night, seven innings. Um, Kind of did everything that he could have done to help that narrative that Jose Barrios is finding his own. What are you seeing as of late that's giving you a bit of confidence with the way that Jose Barrios has bounced back from some shakier starts?
3: Yeah, it's been really encouraging, I think, and probably the best two starts we've seen from Barrios this year. Probably the best two starts we've seen from him in a while, really. I mean, even spring was a bit rocky with um, some issues in the WBC, um, and of course, you know, we know what happened last year. So it's looking kind of intriguing for Barrios mm-hmm. right now, and that's not to erase any of the starts that uh, that happened earlier in the season. I think it'll take. Uh, longer before we completely uh, say that Jose Barrios is fixed, but uh, he did go seven innings. He had 10 swinging strikes. He's pitching with more confidence. And again, this came after a start uh, last week where he was able to go those five innings on Friday against the Rays and deliver a pretty good performance. So you think about it, Rays the best offense in baseball so far this year. And then the Astros with the kind of lineup that they put out there, on a a given night, these are two very tough teams. And Barrios has been very, very good against both of them. So to me, this is a step in the right direction for him to be in the zone, getting results and challenging hitters. So that's a positive for the Blue Jays as they move ahead here.
0: Yeah, definitely a positive. I think before everyone's like back on board and believing wholeheartedly that uh, Barrios has turned the corner, I think kind of need to string together a few more, but I don't think the same rules apply uh, to Chris Bassett, who obviously had that nightmarish Mm. debut for the Toronto Blue Jays, but he's really, really settled things down. Are we sort of like already buried that debut or put that to bed? Non-issue Chris Bassett's going to be a pretty productive pitcher all season long.
3: Yeah, I, I think so. That's the way I look at it right now. Um, you know, you think about one rough start, and then in Anaheim, his second start, he did start that game in a in a bit of a um, confusing way because he was dealing with pitch calm, and, um, you know, he, he fell behind early, but then he was really able to rebound, gave them a quality start, and it's been really consistent ever since. So I think if you're the Jays, this is what you expected from Chris Bassett. Nothing more, nothing less. He's keeping you in games. He is pitching like the number three starter. That's ideal. That's what they want. Um, And the velocity is there, too. It's not just that he's been able to get um, six innings of work in, but he's been able to pitch with a little bit of increased velocity. He was searching early in the season for his mechanics. Certainly seems to have found a bit more comfort on the mound, whether it's mechanically, whether it's with um, his, his catcher's, um, and, and the PitchCon devices. So all of that points to more comfort better results for Chris Bassett. And this is, yeah, I think this is basically textbook for what you would have expected or hoped for if you were the Blue Jays going into the season um, with regard to Bassett.
0: Not a particularly great night for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette last night. Uh, both, kind of a weird night too. They both took uh, strikes for violations in the batter's box. They uh, had those opportunities with the bases loaded in the 8th to really put the Blue Jays in a great spot and were unable to cash, but... You know, totality-wise, uh, it's been a really strong start for these two. And setting the table like they didn't last year for a really great season. Uh, you with Bo Bichette coming on late and Vlad having that down year. Have they, have, do you see it that way as well, where it's like, okay, they've started out really good and this looks like something that's going to be, you know, you know permanent roots on the season where Vlad and Bo both sort of return to a more consistently dominant way?
3: Yeah, I see that possibility for sure. And, you know, it, it is true that last year, I mean, Bichette, you look at the season end line and he had a great season as per usual. But of course, uh, you know, for those of us who are watching every day, um, you know, as you said, I mean, we kind of remember that uh, slow start and the fact that it was it was really tough for Bichette to get going to the full level of his abilities. So I, I have to imagine that it's, Way better and just way, um, you know, better mentally. If nothing else, for these players to have uh, a good start under their belts and to be working with um, some some pretty good numbers to start the year. But it's also a reflection of where their swings are at. It's a reflection of where their preparation is at. And I think both these guys are really ready on any given night to go out there and be you know, one of the tougher duos in baseball to, to retire, whether it's Acuna and Olsen, whether it's Freeman and Betts. I mean, Vlad Guerrero Jr. And Boba Shatt should be right in that discussion for any of the tougher, top of the orders in baseball. And I think that's true. Certainly hearing from people with other teams, that's the, that's the impression you get is that these guys are, are as feared as anyone. And so it didn't work out last night, and that's pretty frustrating because your have bases loaded and nobody out. You think you're probably going to convert that into something to at least tie the game in that situation. But uh, as you said, I mean, if you zoom out, these guys are really, really good hitters, and right now they seem to be healthy and seem to be locked in.
1: I feel like I might have cursed Zach Pop last night because I knew we were having you on and I started writing down some some notes and I wrote down how excited I was about Zach Pop's season so far. He wasn't that sure bet, you know, beforehand to crack the roster, he'd been a pleasant surprise. I was pretty fired up about Zach Pop and then last night happened but removing that from context he has been a pretty great surprise i think for the blue jays in this bullpen um thus far i mean he's a canadian guy as well so we always like that tie in but what he's been able to do unexpectedly a little bit for this roster i think should be a, a really big silver lining for the blue jays so far
3: agreed and you're not alone ailish <laughs> in uh, in hyping up zach pop too too early <laughs> because uh, i recorded the pod uh, at the letters podcast yesterday and was just talking about how crazy Sackhoff is. Oh, no. Of course, yeah, you know, you're not going to go back and redo it. So anyone listening, that's, uh, that's out there. But, you know, he has been really good, and one bad outing doesn't totally undo that. I mean, it's, uh, it's a sinker that just moves so much. He's throwing the slider a lot more this year. The slider also moves a lot, just so much sink on all his pitches, and he's keeping hitters guessing for the most part. Uh, you know, last night accepted. And so that's uh, – a really big development from a guy who, uh, you know, as recently as a month ago, he wasn't even on the team. He was the last reliever to make the team. He was not assured of of having a spot on this ball club, and then he pitched really well in spring, earned that roster spot, and now he's pitching in leverage. So, you know, they can always use more relievers, and and there's going to be time for a lot of these guys to pitch in leverage in the course of the season. But Zach Pop has earned that chance, and maybe he'll have to earn it back now after, after the way uh, uh, Wednesday night unfolded. But I, I do think that he's been a really impressive story for the Jays this year.
1: Last one for you here, Ben. Um, a storyline that we were excited about as well was uh, Nathan Lucas's debut, I always see Luke's and I'm like, it's Lucas, right? Like, it's like he spelt it that that way to throw us off. Um, but 28 years old, like you never really hear an MLB debut that late in a, in a guy's career, I guess. But what do we need to know about his journey to the MLB and what he might bring to this roster when he gets an opportunity?
3: Yeah, it's always nice to see those guys get chances. Um, and and Lucas is, is realistically, Someone who brings speed and defense. Um, he's had some pretty good results in spring training, and I've seen a lot of Lucas in spring training the last couple of years. Last year, he almost made the team. He wasn't on the 40-man roster last year. He was the last cut in spring, and they went with Ghost Kato instead. And he just never ended up playing at all um, last year. And then now this season. It's a team with so many established players that that last player on the bench doesn't really play very often, which is why here we are April the twentieth and and Lucas is kind of just now uh fury in games for the for the first time aside from being a pinch runner but um he's someone who, like I said, brings speed, brings defense bats from the left side, probably don't count on seeing him in the lineup too often but uh you know, maybe you'll be able to get a big hit or a home run or something to <laughs> to really uh, remember um, in one of these games coming up.
1: Good story, and nonetheless, something to keep our eyes on um, here as we approach the weekend. Blue Jays in New York. They got an off date today, and then three games in New York City. So enjoy the trip, Ben, and thanks for joining us this morning. We'll chat soon.
3: Look forward to it. Thanks for having me on.
1: That's Ben Nicholson Smith, Sports movie editor and co host at the Letters Podcast, which he also had to retape because <laughs> poor Zach Pop. I think we jinxed him a little bit. The tarot cards. Something Wait, in the air.
0: Was that it? Like uh, you know, he's been kind of mop-up guy, right? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden he gets into a big spot, maybe not expecting. That's all right. A big spot, dude. It happens. At least yet. Yeah, I mean, he says working it up. And but like, yeah, really, really encouraging. I mean, we're looking I always marvel at that Houston Astros bullpen. Like Brian Abreu comes out and gets the job he's done. A beast. And I'm like, Do we have a Brian Abreu? I don't know. Maybe Jordan Romano's got some Abreu in him, but like we don't have Brian Abreu. Uh, but if a guy like Zach Pop, who you, you know, you didn't—it's not homegrown because mm-hmm. you acquired him, but you kind of uncovered a gem that would be lovely and a great story and a meaningful addition for this Blue Jays team that I still think should be looking at—you know—what can we do back there in the bullpen for more real stuff that can get swing and miss.
1: All right, before we get back into the Leafs and teeing up tonight's game two between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Maple Leafs at home here at Scotiabank Arena, at seven p.m. with Mike Rupp. We're giving away tickets. Blue Rodeo is coming to Bud stage on August 26th with special guests Wild Rivers and Rose Cousins. We've been giving away tickets all week long. And to enter, all you have to do is tune into the Fan Morning Show this week. Listen for the daily code word and text it into 590-590. Today's code word is, ooh, I like this one, trust yourself. Wow. Text TRUST YOURSELF to 59590 right now for your chance to win. One more pair of tickets are given away tomorrow. If you don't win with us, make sure you secure your tickets by going to Ticketmaster.ca at 10 a.m. tomorrow as they go on sale then. But trust yourself. What
0: a, what a message for the Toronto Maple Leafs today. Who chose this? Wasn't it like Dark Angel? It
1: was Dark Angel yesterday, and it was a dark day. It was and a today dark day. It's about trusting yourself at 59590.
0: So if you're Whew. Sheldon Keefe, you're trusting yourself in what you have. If you're Mitch and Austin, you're trusting yourself in what you can do. And Ilya Samsonov, oh, it's all about trusting yourself, is it not?
1: Damn, what a, like, I just feel like there's something special in the air now.
0: Now I'm excited for tomorrow's code word.
1: Hmm. I'll have to take a look at the Blue Rodeo song list catalog. Then See? pull a
0: tarot card and then we'll figure it uh, out.
1: No out. more of those. Trust yourself, folks. Let's talk to Mike Rupp. He doesn't always bring the Maple Leafs positivity, though, okay? He likes to be hard on those guys. So we'll trust ourselves that we'll find a little positive lining when we talk to Mike on the other side of the break We'll follow up with a preview of Game 2 and awaken and Rake to end the show.